0: My own. there we go. Good morning. Good to see you all. For those of you who brought your Bibles with you, won't you turn once again to First Thessalonians chapter five and while you 're doing that, let me say just one quick thing about our Wednesday night classes. You know, we call them uh, classes and courses, and we say people are teaching them, and it, it it's, can sound like a real academic thing, but the main purpose of our Wednesday night. Groups. The main purpose of the Wednesday night, what we do on Wednesday night, is to build relationship. I mean, that's the main thing. It's a way to break the big church down into smaller groups and for us to get to know one another. Yes, there is an academic element. Yes, there is teaching. Yes, there is studying God's word. But the main purpose is that um, just to pursue those types of relationships that I believe. God designed us for, that he wants us to pursue with one another, and so it's all about drawing closer to one another as we're drawing closer to the Lord, and so I strongly encourage you uh, to get involved in that. It's just pursuing the whole belong part of what we're about as a church. All right, First Thessalonians 5, we're in the process of wrapping up this series that we've been in for a while now. We've got today and then next week will be the last one in First Thessalonians. Here at the end of his letter, Paul is giving some last-minute instructions to the church, which we started looking at last week. Today, we're going to look at a couple more of them, and then next week, finish up the whole thing. Picking up where we left off last week, we're going to start in verse 15 this morning and read through 18. So let's all stand together to do that in honor of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, he says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you have given us this morning. Lord, it's a short text, but God, there is so much in it. It's powerful. And, Lord, I pray that even through these four verses we can see you, Lord, that we would, our love for you would just increase more and more. And that because of that, it it would just spill out in the way that we live. So, Jesus, like we prayed, let it rain. Let truth, let a revelation of who you are just rain down on us and for you to be glorified in it. In your name we pray, amen. So last week I talked about the importance of encountering Jesus in anything that we read when we're reading the Bible, and um, we even saw last week how that can happen, even when you're reading a list of instructions. If you're looking at them through the lens of the gospel. And in doing that last week, we saw how Paul wasn't just telling us what to do, but he's also declaring some of the things that Jesus has done. And so what he's saying is that we do these things for others because Jesus has done these things for us. And so that's how we're going to continue to look at at these next four here. Now, These four short verses in this particular section, there's four things that Paul says that we need to do here. And when you look at them on the surface, I think out of all the things in the Bible that we are exhorted to do, things that we are asked to do as Christians, as followers of Christ, these things are arguably the hardest ones. I mean, the hardest ones. Because to do these things... Would go completely against what we would normally be inclined to do. These things are not normal. They're just not natural. For someone to do these things on a regular basis, we would call that person peculiar. That person is very different. He's not like everyone else because everyone else just doesn't do these things. Well, let's look at each one of them. The first one again in verse 15 See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Of course, this is talking about someone who has done something to you that we might consider evil. If someone does something to you, against you, whatever, something wrong, something evil, he's saying don't pay them back with the same thing. Whatever attitude, whatever motivation, whatever thing it was that was done to you, don't respond with the same attitude The same motivation, the same thing that they did. And again, this goes completely against what we would normally want to do, the way that we would uh, want to respond. I mean, if something does something to us, posts something bad about us on the internet or anything like that, I mean, we're going to get them back, right? Right? I mean, why wouldn't we? After all, they deserve that because of what they did to us. And we'll even have this attitude that it is a moral right to get them back because they deserve it. And giving someone what they deserve, what is that? It's justice. So we want to enact justice. And you would be right. They do deserve that. And the world would support you saying, give them what they deserve. The only problem with that is that for Christians, we don't go by what the world says. And when it comes to what people deserve, we belong to a God who is exceedingly full of grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do. It's exactly what we got when God saved us. We didn't deserve salvation. We deserved condemnation. We deserved judgment. We deserved hell. But what we got instead through Jesus was forgiveness, love, and eternal life. If there ever was a case where someone should have got what they deserved, it was a human race, it was us. And if there ever was a case of someone being treated with evil, having every right to pay that evil what it deserved, it was God. Now, I've talked before about how our culture today is just so obsessed with this whole idea of deserving something. I mentioned how if you just pay attention to commercials on TV, on radio, so many of them today are trying to they use the tactic of convincing you to buy their product or service because you deserve it. And the reason why so many of them are doing that right now is because it works. It plays on our self-centered demand for, for personal justice. We deserve it, and so by God, we should have it. That's justice. But this mentality isn't limited just to the world. I'm not talking about that's how the world operates. This even has crept into the church. Us thinking we deserve so many things and it's for some people all the way to the point where they start viewing their own salvation and the blessings that they have in God as something that they deserve but until we realize just how absolutely undeserving we are of anything we will never be able to fully comprehend the amazing grace of God. Why don't we deserve it? Because we have absolutely blasphemed a holy God. We have belittled the name that is above all names. We have taken all that, that belongs to God and put our grimy hands on it and claimed it as ours and used it for our own purposes. The, the talents and, and achievements that God allowed us to have, we've used those for our own glory and while ignoring completely His. On and on I could go about how the very thing that God created for a, a special purpose, of far and above any other thing that He had created, whom He wanted nothing more than just to enjoy His goodness and His love, how we have turned against Him and absolutely spit in His face with our sin and arrogance. And because He is a God of justice, He cannot allow that to go unpunished. You sure you want to keep demanding what all you deserve? Because what we all deserve is for God to do to us a hundredfold what we have done to him. And if he would have done that, he would have been right and just in doing so. And the universe would have applauded in hearty approval. But instead, it gasped. <gasps> at the response he did have when he came down on our level became one of us and stood in our place to absorb the punishment that we deserved making our relationship with, right, with him right once again and restoring us to our original purpose listen no matter what someone has done to you no matter how evil it is No matter how vindictive, how deceptive, how hurtful, nothing can compare to what we have done to God. I'm sorry. You just can't. I think a problem with us, a lot of us today, with our culture today, we just don't see how depraved we are apart from Christ. And how what we have done to God is so horrible. Nothing can compare to what we've done to God. And yet we still claim our right to pay the evil done to us with evil in return. We're going to get them back for what they did to us. Even though the Jesus that we claim to follow while men spit on him and mocked him and murdered him unjustly. He said, Father... Forgive them. Forgive them. God's response to our sin and our guilt and the evil that we committed was the exact opposite of the response that He had the right to give. And it was the greatest event that ever happened in all of human history. And every time something evil is done to us, you know what we've got? We've got the opportunity presented to us to reflect that and to show the world what our God is like. The God that we belong to, here's what he is like because this is how he responded. Sometimes we wonder, God, why did you allow them to do that to me? And God says, I've given you the opportunity to reflect my glory. My spirit that forgave all that was done to me, now resides in you. And I want you to extend it now. Show people my glory. We can repay evil with good because God repaid our evil with good. Jesus illustrated this with a parable in Matthew 18 when he told the story of the king who who went to to settle all of his accounts to call the debts that were owed him. And there's one... Servant in particular that he called before him who owed just an outrageous amount of money, and he couldn't pay it. And so the king ordered him and his whole family to be sold into slavery. Well, the man fell on his face just begging the king for mercy. And the king was moved to compassion, and he forgave the servant's debt. Well, that servant then went out and found a friend of his that owed him just a small fraction of the debt that he had just been forgiven. And he demanded payment. The guy couldn't pay him, and so he had him thrown into prison. When the king found out about it, he had the servant brought before him, and he said this. Verse 32 of Matthew 18, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Of course, Jesus was foretelling what he was going to do. Him going to the cross was the King forgiving that huge debt, and he is exhorting us to keep that in mind every time someone sins against us. Now, the world would think it's absolutely crazy to for responding like this instead of enacting the justice that is deserved. But God would think of sons and daughters for following the example of their father. Let's look at the next one. Verse 16, he says, rejoice always. Now, the Greek word that Paul used there for always literally means only when things are good. (laughs) Catch that? We, We wish it would, don't we? It doesn't. It means always. Now, if someone wanted to know what that verse means, and they were going to try to find out by observing the life of people who claim to be Christians, it's probably the assumption that they would come up with, well, that only means rejoice when things are good. But what Paul is saying is to rejoice not only when things are good, but also when they're not. Rejoice when they're good and when they're bad. Rejoice in times of healing. And in times of pain, rejoice in the abundance and rejoice in the lack, rejoice in the comfort and rejoice in the suffering. Now, the world, again, that would be just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what could possibly make us rejoice in situations where it wouldn't make any sense at all to be joyful? Well, the motivation for that joy would have to come from something that that transcends just our circumstance, It would have to come from something that can't be affected by mere circumstance. It would have to be something eternal, not not something that's just Temporary and doesn't last very long. And it goes right back again to the gospel who Jesus is, what he has done, what that means for us. Because of what Jesus has done, you now can rejoice in all circumstances because no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, nothing can change who he is, what he's done, what it means for you. Nothing can change who you are in him. Nothing can change the purpose that God has for your life, that he has called you by name, that he has redeemed you, that he has made you one of his, that your, your, your future is secure in him. Nothing can change that. And the good of all that truth is so much greater than the pain of anything bad that we can go through in this world. And so that's why we can rejoice in everything, not because of what's going on around me, but because of what Jesus has done, because of who he has made me. David talked about this in the 23rd Psalm when he said, You prepared a table. Now think about that, a table. A table is a place of acceptance, a place of celebration, a place where you're just feasting on good things. You have placed that even in the presence of my enemies. He's saying even in that scary and dangerous situation, I can rejoice because of what you have done. No matter what threats are against my life, no matter how dark the situation Everything that I have in you is available. How do we do that? I mean, how can we rejoice in all situations? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us, which says this, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden. With God in Christ. That's the only way we're able to rejoice always. And that's precisely why I keep saying. There's nothing else worth talking about. Other than what Jesus has done. Other than the gospel. Because as soon as we get away from it. and Start talking about something else. Our minds are going to go to the things that are on the earth. And our joy disappears. And then verse 17. He says pray without ceasing. Some of us might think. Pray without ceasing. I don't have time for that. I have a job to do. I got a family to take care of. I barely have enough time to pray for the five minutes that I do pray. Well, Paul's not saying to just stop whatever you're doing in order to pray. He's saying to just always be in this attitude of prayer. Be constantly aware of God's presence, not just that he's with you, but he is in you. You can be in constant communication with him. It doesn't have to be this, this structured ceremonial type thing. And it is also being constantly in prayer is also having the constant awareness admission that you need Jesus for everything. You're constantly in need of him. Now this was a radical thing really for Paul to say here because before Jesus came, this type of relationship with God was absolutely unheard of. I mean, in order to communicate with God, one had to go to a priest who would then be their representative who would go speak to God on their behalf. And then in order to do that, it couldn't just be done anywhere. It had to be done in the temple. But Jesus made access to the Father available at all times in all places for everyone who belongs to him. We don't need to go to anyone else or go to some special building, some special location, because the Bible says that our bodies are now the temple of God. This is where he resides. Right now, God's spirit is so strong in this building, and it has absolutely nothing to do with this building. It has to do with the fact that there are so many people in here that God's spirit is inside of. And so because of that, because he has made that kind of relationship possible, we can constantly be in communication with him. We can pray without ceasing. Now verse 18 really goes hand in hand with 16. Because verse 16 was rejoice always. Verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So many people say, I just want to know what God's will for my life was. What if I said, you know what, I found God's will for your life. It's for you to give thanks in everything. What? Every situation. Now this really goes against what we would naturally be inclined to do. Because there are some things that may happen that we'd be more inclined to curse God rather than thank him. But he says not only to rejoice in all situations, but to thank God for all situations. For everything. Now, surely he doesn't really mean everything, right? I mean, there are some pretty horrific things that that happen to people in this world. I'm supposed to thank him from that? Some of us in here have been through some things that we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy. Been through some things that have caused some deep, lasting scars that have affected your entire life ever since that happened. Have affected you emotionally, affected you physically. Things that have just had these lasting consequences. You telling me we're supposed to thank God even for that? Well, what if we have a son? 21, 22 years old, let's say, and he's been struggling with depression. He's been turning to things that, in order to alleviate his sadness, to that, that dark cloud over him, to get him out of that pit, nothing is working. And we've been praying for him. We've been trying to help him out. Man, we're just believing God for a miracle that he's going to save him from all that. Then we get a call one day and hear that he's had enough. He's tried to take his own life. He's laying in a hospital, unresponsive. Are we supposed to thank God for a parent's worst nightmare coming true? Sounds ridiculous. To our natural minds. Sounds impossible. But that's exactly the situation that Mac and Rachel Collett found themselves in recently. And I've asked them to share their story with you because God used this exact verse, First Thessalonians five, eighteen, to do a huge work in them there. Mac, Rachel, y'all come up here.
1: Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, it is a beautiful morning. And uh, first thing, I just want to praise God that, that uh, we're able to stand here before y'all <clears throat> and share this story, uh, this testimony. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, I really get fueled off of people's, you know, real-life testimonies. Uh, you know, I, I can listen to a preacher all day long, but, you know, I, I consider myself just an ordinary person. Uh, so it really gets me when I hear people's testimonies, and I, I want to share it with y'all this morning. So, uh, yes, July the 26th at 10.48 p.m., uh, I got a phone call that said my, my oldest boy, 22 years old, tried to take his own life. And he lived on uh, the other side of Waco, so they were going to flight him to Hillcrest. And it's two and a half hours for me over there. My world literally went upside down. Um, you know, the little safe bubble I was in was tore completely apart. Uh, I didn't know what direction to go in. I really didn't know what to do. Uh, we jumped in the car and took off. And I prayed the whole way there. Um... Uh, and my wife really didn't talk. Uh, I prayed the whole way. So that when we arrived, we actually arrived before the care flight got there uh, because he had, he had, he had. Uh, they'd actually brought him back three different times, uh, and they, they had to get him stable enough to care flight him. So we were there waiting when the helicopter came in, and when they brought him off, uh, you know, I wanted to go up and, and touch him and hug him, but I, you know, they wouldn't let me. So. they they took him in the room the chaplain come out and got us and uh, we went into the hospital went in this little room and they called uh, called me back and they were running these tubes down him you know just all kinds of stuff was going on trying to get his oxygen levels up and I just remember standing there in complete shock uh, thinking what in the world is going on I mean how am I going to you know, I, I just, I can't believe this is even happening to me. So he took me in this other room. The neurologist come in and said, you know, your son's brain dead. Uh, you need to just let him go uh, because uh, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing, you know, we can do. Uh, you know, at this time they had him on life support, so. And I was like, no, I don't believe that. And he said, yeah, you need to let him go. And I was like, Um, uh, No. I don't believe that and I'm I'm not going to let him go because first of all it's not my decision it's not your decision you're not God Uh, you know I I serve a mighty God so I said y'all do whatever you got to do to fix him you know and I I went out and uh, I kind of let myself go for a minute you know and I went to questioning you know why in the world is God doing this to me and my family you know I I'm doing everything I was supposed to do as a Christian. Uh, I live a, you know. So why, why would he, why would he put me through this? First Thessalonians five eighteen. I, I had read that a hundred times. And and that come to me that night, in the midst of all that, and uh, drew a line in the sand for me. Uh, and God promised told me, you know, you're going to walk the walk. Or just talk to talk. So I hit my knees and I, I prayed to God. I said, "Look, Lord, instead of me questioning you in the midst of this storm, how can I give you the glory? Show me what I need to do." And an amazing sense of peace and comfort immediately come over me. Uh, I was uplifted. Uh, my mom and my sister, you know, they were they were they were in pretty bad shape. Uh, And I went to talking to my sister and my mom. and I remember my sister looking at me. She said, I want what you got. I was like, I I got the Lord. That's all I have right now. That's all I I have. Um, So during the course of times that we were there, uh, you know, each day they came in with bad news. Uh, They first told me he had no blood flow to his brain. Well, he did. Uh, but they said, you know, don't expect it to last. And I said, well, don't expect it to increase either, you know, because it could. So as the days went on, I got my hopes up, and I, I prayed for a miracle, strictly just a miracle. So I was sitting around there one day, and, you know, even though I had told God I was giving it all to him, I was still basically in the way of that because my ways are not his ways for sure. So... I said, "All right, Lord, I give it to you." Uh, you know, I had to understand that that my son was not mine; he was he was God's first. He was just earthly son, and I was blessed for twenty two years with him. So, when I finally done that and accepted God's will, you know, I prayed to accept it, uh, whatever His will may be. I prayed for Him to to allow me to accept that, and He did. Uh, It was amazing, the feelings that I had. Uh, You know, there was a nurse there that, you know, they wanted me to pull the plug every day. It was a constant battle with the doctors. And I just them, I'm not doing it because I know my God is not going to make me make that decision. He's not going to do that to me. If he wants my son, he'll take him. You know, his work is not done here yet. You know, and half of them thought I was delusional. and I had to pull a couple of them off to the side and say, look, I realize what's going on here, and I I know the severity of it, but I also, you know, you don't know my God. So, I mean, so when it's ready, he'll let me know. So the course of 11 days, um, there was a nurse there that had lost her daughter five years earlier, and anyway, we had... She'd sit in a room with me that night, and, and she'd actually broke down with me and uh, told me that, that the faith that we had actually restored her faith that uh, she had lost uh, during the, the course with her daughter and was very thankful for that. You know, So the Lord, during this time, actually moved and worked within me for me and my family and for the the, the doctors and the nursing staff that was there. So the 11th day, you know, uh, my son's kidneys started shutting down and the 11th day, his vitals started dropping, uh, pretty good. His his heart rate stayed up, but his blood pressure got over to 60, over 37. And I knew, uh, I already knew what was coming. Um, the Lord had already prepared me and pretty much told me so that evening, um, I kept hearing in my, in my head, you know, well, well done, my good and faithful servant, and this went on and went on and went on, and uh, that night we spent the night with with him in the room, and, and we laughed and cried, and we laughed again the next morning. we got up, and it was about six forty five six fifty the sun was just starting to come up, and we just got up, and uh, it was my mom. Me, my wife, my sister, and brother in law, and we just got around his bed and just laid our hands on him. We all just got up there and stood for I don't know what. Uh, something just told us to get up there, and that's what we did. And my wife made the comment. She said, Look how big that sun is. Uh, that sun is big. And I was like, Yeah. I mean, I'd really never seen the sun that big. But I went back to looking at my son and, and trying to figure out what it's like we all knew that was what was coming, but. We didn't. Uh, we'd been playing Christian music on the TV for the past week, and I remember looking at the monitors like 656, and uh, I seen this light come through the window like a spotlight in it, and it, it landed on my son and went up his body to his face. and his face lit up. I'm talking about bright. The song "Come to the Altar" came on, and immediately, my son was gone. Uh, I mean, it was immediate. The monitors went to you know to nothing. Uh, it was it was the most amazing thing I ever saw in the midst of the most terrible storm I ever been in in my life. But the Lord loves us enough. He loved me enough to, to give me that affirmation, to let me know it's okay. Uh, and for that, I'm very thankful for. Uh, I, I praise him. You know, I was able to, to, to thank God each and every day, another day that he gave me with him that wasn't promised. Uh, so the Lord knew if he'd have took my son that first night, I, I couldn't have handled it. But, you know, the Lord did all this to, to break me down, uh, to completely break me down, to rebuild me to where I needed to be. And through the course of all this, um, you know, and I, I want to brag on this church because this church, to me, I consider each and one, every one of y'all my family because um, it was just amazing at the, the outpour of love and, and the prayers that we received. Uh, and it hadn't been for, for everything that I wouldn't have made it you know if it's been three or four years ago uh everything that's happened in my life to this point the people that's been placed in my life uh my family all of us was preparing us for this storm and uh for that i'm 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 thankful Uh, i'm very thankful for that is it still hard yes yes it's hard and it's going to continue to be hard but the Lord says, you know, he doesn't promise. The only thing, he, he promises to be with you uh, each and every day, and, and he wants us to lean upon him. So uh, I praise him. I, I, I praise him for that. I don't know if I can this. Thing. I just want to tell you that when my husband was experiencing the, the sunlight coming over Trenton's body, I was standing at his leg, at the bottom at, the, at his legs, and that song come on, and I was singing, and then I just went to praising God. And the uh, most overwhelming joy, I cannot tell you how. I know it sounds weird, but it's beautiful that I know today where my son is, and we will see him again, because it was amazing. Nobody else but God could have done that for us. Anyway, thank y'all very much for listening.
0: It's been really neat to see uh, what all God has been doing in their lives ever since they started coming to church here before all this happened. I mean, it was just one thing after another that God was just changing them, and the spiritual growth that happened during that short amount of time was uh, was amazing, but it's obviously obvious now that one of the reasons for that was that God was preparing them for that. Mac told me that if this would have happened three, four years ago, there's no way he would have been able to go through it. But God knew what was coming, and he took care of him. And that's one of the reasons why we can thank God, even for things that wouldn't seem normal to be thanking God for. That attitude is just a recognition that, God, I trust you. I trust you. Saying, God, I know that you're in control. That you're working all things, all things for my good and your glory. If you're working all things for my good and your glory, according to Romans eight twenty eight, then I can thank you for all things. It's admission that, God, I can't see fully what all you're doing. I, I don't know the full plan that you have for my life, but I trust you that you're even using this horrific situation for your great purposes hurts God but I thank you because I trust you and I wanted you to hear it from them personally because I think when we talk about living in these supernatural ways that the tendency for some of us is to think well that's not me I can't do that that's for that's for super spiritual people that's for the professional Christians Mac and Rachel aren't any of those. They're just common, natural people who belong to an uncommon, supernatural God. And his nature and his character can be reflected in everything that we do, no matter what situation that we find ourselves in. And again, it's all because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has called you by name and redeemed you, and transferred you from darkness into his marvelous light, Because he has, you now can repay evil with good. You can rejoice always. You can pray without ceasing. And you can give thanks in everything. Praise God for that. Let's pray. God, I stand in this place right here just in awe. Who you are and all that you've done, all that you're continuing to do in the lives of your people. Just in awe of you that you would do something like this when we so don't deserve that. And God, I pray that every day, Lord, we would see, receive a new, fresh revelation of who you are. God, that our mind would be on the things above. God, we get so caught up, so obsessed with the things on this earth, God, the things that don't mean anything in light of eternity. Lord, we confess that we try to repay evil with evil. Lord, fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. So that we can respond to the evil done to us the way that you responded to the evil that was done to you. Lord, bring us into new levels of trust in you. Because there is no greater place to be than to be able to fully trust you. God, I thank you that we can do that. Lord, I know there are some in here right now that are going through some very difficult situations that you are speaking directly to them. Lord, you are showing them even now that you are right there in the middle of that storm with them because you knew that we were going to be in this particular place in this series on this particular day and you made sure that they were here to hear it. So Lord, I pray that they would find you in the midst of the darkness that they're in in the midst of the pain and the confusion. And Lord, they'd be able to stand in the midst of it and praise you and give glory to your name. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just have your way? We love you. Thank you for making us your own. Thank you that we can do these things, not because of us, but because of you. Lord, we love you. Amen.